Welcome to Adventures in Podacy, a reflective road trip towards our wit's end. Pop in your favorite cassette tapes and come along for the ride as we discuss faith, culture, and all the ways we were bullied growing up in evangelicalism. Welcome back, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to Adventures in Podesty, a reflective road trip to our wits end. I'm Abigail Brown, oldest of the Brown sisters. I thought I was going to be able to read my tweet to you guys before we started recording. Ah! This, this is Emily, the biggest baby of the group. <laughs> Medium Debbie. Yep. I, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. Claire's the youngest. Claire's the actual baby. Yeah. Um, but welcome back to Adventures in Podesty, a reflective Road trip to our wits end. We're so happy that you're joining us for what is now episode four, which is crazy to think that we've been able to organize ourselves enough for four episodes. It's really kind of five because we recorded a whole episode that had to get or we showed up for an episode and talked for 30 minutes and then trashed it. So that happened. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so the way we like to start off um, – all of our episodes is we like to start with um, reading tweets about uh, the topic from the last episode, funny tweets or uh, informational tweets or anything that's just relative to whatever we talked about last time. Um, if you missed it, our last podcast was on what, Emily? Dispies. Dispies. Dispensationalism. The fast food of theology, as she aptly termed it. Um, and, um, it's actually a little hard to find tweets on dispensationalism. I'm not going to lie. It's because nobody can spell it. Yeah. I, I, that's why I just shortened it to dispy every single time. But I did find what is called their, uh, at Evangelitron. It's basically like a Twitter bot that just takes evangelical buzzwords and like schmusses them together. And I found a couple of theirs on dispensationalism, um, <laughs> are on... <laughs> If this isn't your brand of humor, you might not like this. But I just think it's hilarious. Is this sexual orientation? Question mark. The confession of a conspiracy dispensationalism. <laughs> okay, I'll be honest. That must not be my brand of humor. <laughs> it's just. It's like basically takes these like splash headlines that like is this you know is this critical race theory is this whatever and it everything's it, critical race theory exactly but uh and then it has another one our online interview with ken ham dispensationalism is mel gibson question mark which i just think is funny but i think that's also a very specific brand of humor only for people who don't like ken ham which is us okay. i guess then mine might also be a very specific brand of humor i always before we do a new episode um am frantically searching Twitter um, seconds before we record looking for a tweet um, that is somehow connected to the previous episode. So in my searching today, um, 15 seconds ago, I found this tweet from at R-U-I-Z-1689. So thank you for this. Um, 1689. Uh-oh. <laughs> Good year. Um, and it, unfortunately there is an image associated with this tweet, but I'll try to give you a brief snapshot. It is simply just an image of, um, what's his name? Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I forgot his name. <laughs> from yeah. the Matrix? Is that yes. from the, is this from the Matrix? 
I don't, that's from John Wick, but that's Keanu Reeves. Okay, yeah, I know that's Keanu Reeves. Have one nerd on this podcast. Okay, well, anyways, it's a. I it's know a, who Keanu Reeves is. It's Keanu Reeves surrounded by men holding guns to his head, and um, the tweet is, "What is the theological opinion you have that results in this?" Um, someone responded, um, "R R U I Z sixteen eighty nine said infant baptism equals wet baby dedication." <laughs> <laughs> Then a uh, rescue dad times three responded, dispensationalism is the most destructive teaching in the world today. Oh, so I don't know if I'd agree with that. But I don't know if I would either, but I thought wet baptism or wet baby dedication was pretty good. You were just trying to sneak that one in. Somehow the rescue dad times three got me to wet baby dedication, so I'm grateful for that. Wow. My tweet is from a user at oatmeal Claire pie without an e at the I end. I hate her. I have her blocked. Yeah. No, this is my own personal tweet because I didn't feel like getting on Twitter too much because every single thing on Twitter was making me really mad except my own fe- profile. So um, I tweeted this back in 2020, back in the heyday. This was, what, May 2020? Man, everything was going really well for everybody then. <laughs> um And as we know, dispensationalism heavily talks about eschatology. So it says, all my eschatology is from Johnny Cash's Man Comes Around, and all my opinions on gun control are from Johnny Cash's Devil's Right Hand. And this isn't funny. Like, it's just, like, that's true. It's just, (laughs) you shouldn't buy a gun because guns are the devil's right hand. Just don't have it on you, bestie. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And, and like, the man is coming around. There's a man in white. Hear the trumpet, hear the pipers. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to meet Johnny Cash when I die. All right. Anyways. Cool. Um, We also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that we've heard from listeners of the podcast. So the entire reason that we're doing this is because um, we love all of our friends. Uh, We just don't have time to talk to each one of them for an hour and a half every day. And so we just record our conversations on topics and send them out into the world. But... We actually have had a lot of good response um, to to all of the episodes so far, but um, we had one listener last episode about dispensationalism who like kind of sent us like a video breaking down kind of like some of the things she was basically thanking us for breaking down thanking Faith more than <laughs> or Faith and Emily more than me and Claire breaking down some of the more complex tenets of dispensationalism and how like. They relate to not just, you know, your eschatology or your view on scripture, but how they relate to um, how you just view your faith in relation to the world as a whole. Um, And it was really nice to hear – she said some very kind things, and it was just nice to know that – I don't know, that we're not just talking into a void, but that people actually kind of listen and and hear and are willing to have discussion on that. Um, But, yeah, do you guys have any comments on – on her comments <laughs> i i think though like one thing i remember that like actually of what she said was that what do you keep looking at well you keep looking is there someone out there no i'm just, okay <laughs> i just like i'm like a like a dog okay go, um, go ahead sorry is that we make jokes all the time about the rapture and be like ooh, no rapture skirt and run away kind of thing um but like literally no one knows why we do that for real like they're just like what the rat like Everybody believes in the rapture. So I think that was a good thing that we kind of cleared up. It's just like, why do we maybe not hold this as closely as, you know, the deity of Christ or something? Yeah. <laughs> not um, in the creeds. 
Yeah, so I think it clarified our position, but I think it also opened up a channel for discussion in terms of like people realizing that you do not have to hold to beliefs like that and reject inerrancy. I think that was a big part of it. And I think that's also a big part of maturing in your faith and growing up in your theology is realizing you can let go of certain schools of thought and still believe in the inerrancy of scripture or still be orthodox. Amen. But you can't be Michael Gunger. (sighs) Michael Gunger wakes up and chooses heresy. That is not original to me. Although all of their albums after they deconstructed slapped harder than any of their originals. So, um, so, um, and then we had another listener. His name is Dave. Um, he may or may not be our dad, but he, he made a really, um, great point and observation that we wanted to share with the audience, which is if you guys are familiar with, um, the worldwide phenomenon that is Top Gear, he, he texted me at like 11 p.m. one night. After listening to the episode and was like, uh, I finally figured out the the dynamic between the three of you. He said, Emily was Richard, <laughs> the comedic relief. Um, Claire was Jeremy, who is – what did he – how did he phrase it? I think he said – Did he say chaotic? <laughs> no, he, he either said like raucous or like rambunctious or like or, – or devious. Oh, devious. Devious yeah. is the word he used. Just a lot. And then James, which is me, the straight guy. So he said a straight guy, a devious guy, and comedic relief. And so. short. And sh- – yeah, I guess – that was that was serendipitous. I but. would also <laughs> like to point out that Dave – also, we call our dad Dave sometimes. Someone once asked me if I was adopted because I call my dad Dave. So I want to clarify I'm not adopted. That's fine if you're adopted, If you look though. at our dad and you look at Claire and you think they're adopted, you need your eyes checked. <laughs> you need glasses. But he, we dropped that po- episode at like probably 10 o'clock. And then I'm about to go to bed and I walk out to let the dog out. And Dave is just on the back porch in pitch black. And I turn on the lights for him. And then like he comes back inside and is like, I'm listening to the podcast. And it's this point, it's like 11 o'clock. And he's just drinking his bourbon in the dark on the porch, listening to our podcast. And I don't know when he went to bed, but he listened to the whole thing, I think, in one sitting. If I'm wrong, he'll, we'll, you, you guys don't need to know that. But that's that's like big girl dad energy right there. <laughs> listening to your daughter's podcast with some bourbon on the porch. It's cute. But yeah, so those were, I think, the top comments we got back on, or the feedback we got in the last one. Also, it was an hour and a half long, so yeah, <laughs> um, I can imagine most people didn't listen to it, listen through it all the way. Um, but you should, at least for Faith's uh, excellent breakdown of dispenism. And they say when they can't preach. And so today, we're coming at you with um, more of a practical cultural topic Maybe not cultural, but just practical. Um, and I've given it the loose title, Weaponizing Gossip, um, which Claire doesn't like from the face. But that's just kind of kind of the topic that we're going with. And the idea is that um, Christians often will throw around the terms gossip or slander in an effort to hide the fact that Christian, other Christians or uh, their organization are behaving badly. Um, so we see it. In terms of, like, you shouldn't gossip about your employer, um, which we'll talk about a specific instance of that. Or you shouldn't slander this man who has been accused of these things or this woman. Um, when in reality, what is actually happening is is Christians are neither using gossip or slander. They're just speaking – they're speaking truth to people who need to know it. But 
um, the, the word gossip or slander is weaponized against them. And they're told, you know, you need to do this in a Matthew 18 way. Like if you feel that that man groped you inappropriately, you should go to him one-on-one -on -one and have that conversation. It's like, you know, that's, that's safe. actually not a good idea. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today and what's hopefully a shorter episode. Um, and yeah. So who wants to kick it off? Um, I feel like Gaslighter by the Chicks should just be playing in the background <laughs> while we do this. I feel like we should read Matthew 18. Go for it. <laughs> um, not all of it. Uh, so it's Matthew 18 um, verses like 15 to 17 that are basically referenced in any case of having beef with another Christian, whether they raped you or whether they just like, <laughs> we're going to get copyrighted. <laughs> There's a reason we have to label this explicit every time. <laughs> um, I'm trying to read the Bible. I, I jumped in before you started. That word was in the Bible as well. It, it was. Um, so it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And they didn't like those people, by the way. Interesting. Um, just initial thoughts, because I have this awesome thing that happens where someone reads the Bible and I just have these revelations of clarity. Um, but I feel like implicit in, in that passage is an assumption that the two parties are have a relationship that most likely resembles a close friendship, not like me and my pastor. Like, yes, that person is probably like that person is my brother, but I, yeah, at the same time, I don't think that I it just that that passage does not apply um, without any nuance across all Christian relationships. Yeah. And I think that's where. A misuse of that application comes yeah. in. Yeah, like in what way would this like apply? Well, we'll talk. We'll talk about a certain instance, but like in what way would this apply if you're in a big organization and something happens with like someone who is like the poster child of that organization, and you're just a low level employee and you're like trying to figure stuff out, and someone's like Matthew 18, this like I literally don't even have access to this person, or like this doesn't apply, I think, to your employer, unless there's literally like maybe five of you and you're both obviously Christians and. There's also the assumption that both of both parties are part of the same church because if I have an issue with someone who's a Christian but is not in my church, my church is not going to discipline them. I so wish. what does it look like to take that issue to the church? So I think that this is a very important passage because it is giving us specific instructions for how to deal with certain conflicts within the church. But I think at the same time you have to take it – with a little bit of nuance and not generalize it across every single Christian relationship that exists. And I want to come back to that later. I think that's just a good kind of like jumping off point. A precursor. Um, yeah. I'd like to get into like – I'd like to start with maybe more of the personal anecdotal stuff as opposed to um, breaking everything down because I feel like that gives more context about why we want to talk about it. And so the first thing I want to say is we come from a ministry family. We've mm. grown up in ministry. We're third-generation ministry kids. We've stacked more chairs in your life or in our lifetimes than you could ever imagine. Um, and we have been disillusioned over and over again by Christians. One of my favorite things to tell people is Christians are the worst people. But um, we run into this all the time. 
where something happens um, and there's conflict or there's disagreement or there's mistakes made and those things are communicated within an organization or within a group and um, the good old don't gossip comes out. Mm. I don't think we've ever been accused of slander to our face. Have you guys? I've de- We've definitely been accused of slander behind our backs. Yes, like, but people never- have been like the Browns, Ugh. like those which slanderous. Is, which is fair in other ways. Like <laughs> if you if you make that noise when that, when we come up because we're obnoxious or opinionated, or we can't drive, like that's all fine. But that's a different thing to unpack. But <laughs> we definitely have been told not not just the three of us, but our family or our coworkers or the people who have worked with us um, for multiple years um, or have married into our family, like Nathan, Emily's husband, like we've all, we all kind of get grouped together sometimes and we're told, you know, well, you know, do not, don't gossip about this or don't let this become slanderous or if you have an issue with this person, take it to them first. And so, um, so we have a Emily has a specific example she wants to talk. about. I can think about yeah, I can think about a specific example um, when I was a sophomore or junior in high school. As I've shared on this podcast before, I was in a abusive relationship for a number of years um, during my early high school, and when this was exposed, I think it was like in 2017 yeah. in that spring. Um, I told my parents what was going on, and my parents were very wise, handled it very well, um, responded uh, to what I shared and met all my needs in every possible way I could have asked them to. And one of the first things they did was went to um, my abuser's parents and was like, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. We are very concerned and wanted you to be aware um, and his parents said immediately that they were going to address the issue. Um, and so naturally we assumed that addressing the issue would be like addressing it with their son. Um, but what actually happened was I had a number of conversations with his parents where they would like pull me aside at like ministry functions or school functions. And I was repeatedly told that I needed to, um, to meet with my abuser and um and to ask for forgiveness we needed to work it out for the sake of um our friends and our family and for the sake of christian community um which eventually ended in of course i never went and asked for forgiveness because i had nothing to ask for forgiveness for um but eventually what ended up happening was a few weeks later um my abuser approached me at school as I was walking to class. Um, we were outside of the, the school. He approached me while I was walking to class and said, I need to talk to you right now. And I was like, um, I no, absolutely not. I am going to class. And what you have to say cannot possibly be that important. And you do not own my time. But have a nice day. And he said, no, I need to talk to you right now. It'll just take me just a couple of minutes. And I was like... Okay, bestie, like, whatever is, like, really putting your panties in a twist, like, get it out now, but bestie. And he was like, I just really wanted to apologize for what happened between us. And I was like, is this the spirit? Is this the devil? Either way, it doesn't matter in this moment. And I kind of launched into a monologue of uh, 
that's not what happened. You need to apologize for what you did to me. You need to apologize for the ways that you sinned against me. Um, I have nothing to apologize to you for, and I'm not going to. I know that everyone's telling us that we need to repair our relationship for the sake of our community, and, and we need to do all of these things to, to quote, reconcile. But we were in ministry yes, together yeah. with that family. Like, yes. So re- the, 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 the word reconciliation came up a lot as it related to our relationship. And I was like, I'm not reconciling with you. I'm sorry. But like, that is not, I do not think that that's what God is calling me to. And I don't care how many people are telling me that I need to reconcile with you. We're not going to. So I do believe that that is unfortunate for you to hear, but I will be going to my class now. <laughs> Have a nice day. And, and for clarity, like this is, this wasn't like, a relationship where like emotional abuse was happening. Not that that's anything less, but this oh, was yeah. like it was like my physical safety was at stake. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is it can be clear cut, but it was there were no gray areas. And it, also yeah. to be clear, my parents and and people that understood the situation that had a real grasp on like how to respond in a biblically in a in a biblical way, in a holy way, in a healthy way, we're not asking me or or recommending or encouraging me to repair the relationship because they recognize that it was not healthy. And, you know, forgiveness is something that survivors can talk about, you know, later on down the road. And that's a great conversation to have with your therapist or pastor um, or with other people. But, I mean, that – I was also not even in a place to, to demonstrate that. Um, and I – you know, he's probably never heard me say to his face that I forgive him because at that point in time, I was not able to begin that process. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but at the same time, even if he had come to me and asked me for real forgiveness, I would have absolutely forgiven him. But forgiveness, as we all know, and I'm sure that we don't need to really discuss in this podcast, is not the same as repairing and reconciling a relationship. Mm-hmm. So it also implies that he... Like, having, like, reconciling implies that, um, I think the demand to reconcile said that, like, first of all, their reputation mattered more than yours. Um, it implied that, like, this community matters more than you, just period. And we saw that that wasn't true. Also, that community, just (laughs) being honest, like, full on didn't just implode, but, like, was obliterated by the actions of the people involved in this and people we won't ever well, speak about, most likely. That gives us a good segue into how this kind of stuff becomes more than it, – it, it leaches out of yeah. relationship and yeah. becomes a full-scale community issue in the sense that um, when we became aware, at we as in the people close to Emily, as in my family, as in our closer friends, when we became aware of – sorry, I'm not sitting close enough to the mic – aware of what had happened um i think we tried to like keep it a secret yeah kind of like we didn't go around talking about it or like saying things out of turn i was at college so like there wasn't much for me to say anyways and i think i was not as as involved in it as claire and emily were at the yeah. time and my parents were but we didn't you know go around purposely not letting that story be known because yeah. we wanted to keep, to some degree, like, a status quo and to keep yeah. a peace about what was happening. And I think that, you know, for me personally, I was concerned about 
people in my life feeling like they had to take sides. And that was uh, – and in a lot of ways, that's a decision that people on the peripheral of issues like this don't need to make. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if, if you're aware of something and you know that someone has done something wrong, like yeah. you should take the side of righteousness, of course. But yeah. um, I really wanted to prevent other people from having to take sides in this situation. But at the same time – Another thing I struggled with was remaining anonymous in a lot of ways and and not um, being vocal or open about my abuse resulted in a lot of gossip and slander. And I remember being at parties like months after I, you know, disclosed this to my parents and we tried to address it with his family and hearing people tell my friends or my boyfriend at the time that I was a whore and that he shouldn't date me and that, um, like, me and my sisters were all, like, you know, whores and yeah. and and all types of things like that. And I was like, you know what? Like, I get and that. Also, that's just not – that's not, like – that language is actually, like, verbatim what was used. If yes. not worse. Oh, yes. For, like, that I is – I would like to later be reminded who said this. I, that that <laughs> is that is yeah that is the language the soft language that was used. So I I like even just from a sense of like knowing what it feels like to have slander spoken like feet away from you, it is really painful. But at the same time, um, I am no less a- about telling the truth. But if you yeah. had like, and that was if you did not even come out and say this person sexually abused me this happened and he did this and he refuses to take responsibility that was you going and trying to matthew 18 it with not saying matthew 18 is the wrong way but essentially like trying to have mediators involved yeah going to the family not going to anyone else not involved and that is still what happened because it got out to his friend group and his community what had happened and we refused or you refuse essentially to reconcile that relationship because you didn't need to. And I was also against defending my own reputation because people that are going to, you know, you know, paint your reputation as a certain way within certain communities and groups are going to do that no matter yeah. what. And defending your reputation is a waste of breath. So that I I'm having a lot of things like suddenly come back to the surface of being in high school because like Abby was right about like. Sorry, we're going on a tangent. We can cut all this out if we need to. But Abby was in college, but I was a freshman at this time. I had just come into high school. And at this point, like, Emily and Abby and I had never not – like, I hadn't been super close to Emily and Abby. And this is the year where basically no one liked me or Emily. And so we were forced to be friends. Um, And I remember distinctly, like – feeling extremely protective over you, but also, like, I didn't really know what was going on. And once I had that awareness, like, my first instinct wasn't, like, put his face on a poster and be, like, abuser. Now it is. I wish I could. And, I mean, maybe nothing's stopping me other than, like, littering. But (laughs) um, I also remember that same year, maybe it was the next year, a rumor spread about me that I was sleeping with one of my close friends who was, like, three years older than me and was in a relationship and that I was, like, on the DL, but, like, everybody thought that we were, like, in a sexual relationship. And now I'm like, is that – does everybody think we really were whores? I think I think that this instance really did jumpstart a lot of gossip and rumors specifically focused around, you know, me and Claire because, yeah, we just – Somehow we developed a reputation that was not popular, and I think that this had a big part in that because I was not going to 
um, come out and like publicly, you know, and by publicly, I mean like post on Facebook or something. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't going to put like hashtag me too on Facebook because number one, it didn't exist. And number two, because that like, this is my story and I, and I was not ready to do that. I was like 16, 17 at the time and having to defend my integrity as a woman was like just something I was not trying to do when I was just trying to pass algebra two. I, and, and I, like, people have asked me, like, well, why didn't, like, you guys do this and this? And it's like, well, first of all, we are being, like, spiritually manipulated by this family. Like, and also just by our, and by our community. Well, we were also just living under the desire to, again, like, keep the peace and keep the status quo and, like, not let things get to where they got. And then now that we're on the other side of that and we saw how bad things got, we're like, why did we do that? Yeah. Because everything we did still led to a bad... I think the biggest thing, though, in this is that I don't think that at least I don't... I was not ready and not able at the time in terms of, like, my mental and emotional stamina Mm -hmm. to go through the process of taking any kind of action Mm -hmm. on... Not only just defending my reputation, but making things clear and making the story, setting the record straight, so to speak, because that would require disclosing my story. And that was just something I was not prepared for and I was not able to do at the time. So, and also you don't, you literally don't owe that to anyone, even, even the people who are closest to you. Like, and I think you did that in a, in a right way of disclosing at the proper times to the right people. Um, I would also like to add the reason we, I think we felt the need to keep the peace is because in the past, in our lives, in our community, um, the peace was not kept very – like, there's, like, a peaceful two years for us, and then boom, it all goes kapow, and then there's another peaceful two years, and then boom. And so I think we were just kind of coming off of that and, like, trying to gain our footing again. And it wasn't nothing as serious as this, but um, we had been just in bad situations with people – who yeah. were horrible to us and, you know, prob- and slandered us and stuff and gossiped about us. And so, it, so you just want to keep the peace. You want things to be normal. And all of that is a long lead up, <laughs> a, a long running start to us unpacking this topic. But um, sorry, I'm drinking seltzer and it's like stuck in my throat. <laughs> I'm going to know that John Mulaney bit. No. <laughs> just eating bread and drinking seltzer and burping <laughs> and talking through your burps. <laughs> Um, that is, is that, so that was funny? a very, it's not, that was a very long running start <laughs> to this actual topic, but hopefully now you can see kind of where we're coming from and why, and having experienced that as a trio, mostly a duo, but like I caught some of it and then trying to do the right thing, doing what we thought was the right thing, coming out on the other end, looking back and saying, we could have done whatever we wanted <laughs> and Man. it would have still been a bad result. Um, we wanted to kind of apply that, um, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as well as a little bit of like biblical framework. Um, but so let's go ahead and start with how does scripture define gossip? And um, I'm pulling a lot of stuff here from Kate. I think her name is Shelnut. Um, she wrote a Christianity Today article uh, called, oh, here it is. Why defining gossip matters in the church's response to abuse. And that's kind of what inspired me to... Um, propose this topic. This is Kate Shelnut's definition of abuse from her article. Of gossip. Sorry, of gossip. (laughs) From Why Defining Gossip Matters in the Church's Response to Abuse, which is um, free to read on Christianity Today's website, I think, or Mm. you can find it unlocked somewhere. Um, The Bible doesn't offer us a single definition, 
and uses multiple words to refer to what we call gossip. In the Old Testament, the terms typically refer to a person, a talebearer or secret dealer, rather than an action. Um, according to Karen Amen, uh, Proverbs 31 ministry speaker and the author of Keep It Shut, the New Testament term for gossip refers to babbling, empty speech, and whispers. She also goes on, uh, uh, Shelnut goes on to say that for Christians, gossip is not so much a category of speech as a motivation to speak. Calling any negative or sensitive information gossip misses the point. And I think that is so key to our understanding of gossip slash slander slash dealing with these hard things that can become gossip is it is it's not what you say it's it's why you're saying it yeah um right like and i think that also segues really well into one of the first people that we're going to talk about we have a couple people selected um Mm. two maybe three that we're going to touch on who are great examples of how to not do this well. Oh, my goodness. And the first one is everybody's favorite financial planner, rest in financial peace, Mr. David Ramsey. Mm. Ooh! And yes, um, first of all, this man is just really mean. Mean. Like, if you want to talk about slander, go ahead and, like, talk to the other side of the face about just having a bad attitude. Um, especially when people critique you, but that's a whole nother topic. You can Google it. Um, he has essentially a no gossip policy at Ramsey Solutions. And Claire, are you the one who put this information in there? You want to talk about it? Uh, no, I, I put like two things in here. So basically, and, and just get on Twitter and like look up Ramsey stuff. And there are several things that have come out recently of like, um, he fired someone for getting pregnant out of wedlock. Um, because that's how you care for, for single mothers. Good job. Um, uh, and then in a specific instance, he fired someone who her husband worked for his company and their offices were reopening in the middle of COVID famously. Um, very, very wise decision. 10 out of 10 recommend. And, um, she, I, and as far as I know, she did not work. She was not employed by Ramsey Solutions. She put something on Facebook about just concern for it. And then they fired her husband. And then, like, brought her... And then people reached out to her, like, um, the wife of someone who worked there, I think. Or maybe it was an executive or some an employee. I don't think it was an executive. And was, like, try, basically, like, bait and switched her. And was like, oh, like, are you doing okay? Like, that was gossip. Like, just throwing bombs at her. So... They fire team members for gossip when they, like, critique the workplace culture, which has has a lot of things to critique. Um, and I won't go through all of them, but... Um, some people love it. Some people really do not. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, he I, defines gossip as discussing anything negative with someone who can't help solve the problem. Yeah. And I think on the surface, like, maybe that makes sense. But if we're going to sit here and unpack that for a minute... Like, it really yeah. doesn't because um, maybe in the workplace a little bit more. Like, I understand he says if you're having computer problems and IT is slow about helping you, don't complain about it to the sales rep um, in the break room. Talk to your leader because he or she can and will do something about it. Okay, I get that. I get that having yeah. that as a policy, What whatever. Um, the difficulty is kind of like how are you defining what becomes gossip and what, yeah. like, actual gossip and what's just, like, an offhand comment because what's a fireable offense – um, cause in Tennessee you can fire anyone for literally anything. Yeah. It's and a out, was it out will? 
free to work at will employment. At, yeah, which is fine, whatever. But mm. um, so, but then that becomes another issue. If you're sensing a cultural issue with a company, if you're sensing that maybe your leader or your manager is, you know, um, potentially doing something unethical or illegal, or mm. they're doing something um, that makes you feel uncomfortable, or you're, they're just not doing well at their yeah. job. What do you do and where do you go to? Yeah. And it's just so interesting because, like, what would the difference have been if, like, if you later, a year later, found out that this employee's wife, ex-employee, had said the same concerns, not to her Facebook followers, but to, like, her mom and her sister or something. Like, I'm pulling something out of thin air. Like, Mm -hmm. is that still a fireable offense or is that just discussing concerns with something? And so that's just mind-blowing to me. And I just... One of my one of my biggest frustrations with workplaces because I've worked at a few jobs and like it's very frustrating when your boss like or your manager is just like this is a problem and you're like it's literally not or like in any organization is like why are you so obsessed with this thing like why would you be so obsessed with gossip if it's generally not a problem and you hire employees who like the workplace I mean I think part of the obsession with gossip is um it's an effort to maintain and protect power because if gossip does go unchecked or if truth telling goes unchecked Mm -hmm. then that's a threat to power and that's a threat to um to to the status quo that often supports and upholds positions and people of power um i i think that mike cosper discusses that a little bit in uh, the third uh, Mars Hill um, mm-hmm. podcast episode, mm-hmm. um, which was really fascinating. Um, yeah. So I think I think, and I don't want to say that you know that's that's Dave Ramsey in the situation. It may not be. Um, Dave Ramsey may not necessarily be a bad person. He may just have a bad personality. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like think. Us. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I I, I get it now. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think though that this obsession with um, gossip and honestly suppression of truth telling or expressing concern um, is it could be a red flag. Um, mm. t- take it as a yellow flag and then if you see other red flags, maybe change it to yeah. red. But mm-hmm. I do think that is something to consider when we're talking about why are organizations and certain people so obsessed with the talk of, topic of gossip because if gossip or if truth telling goes unchecked, then the people of power no longer control the narrative or the culture of the company exactly. organization yeah. or whatever. And I think that's where most of most if if people are are getting fired over gossip, I think that's the biggest issue. Um at our Oh man, at let's our, go. We gotta get the alma mater involved. So we <laughs> I'm wearing one of their sweatshirts and I didn't even go there. Somebody so our alma mater Moder- alma mater went through or me and you should Emily's, sing the alma mater me and Emily's gun. literally <laughs> I couldn't sing the alma mater if someone held a gun to my head <laughs> I wouldn't if someone held a gun to my head and they went through the ringer and they were getting a ton of criti- criticism from the outside world they had a New York Times article done about them they That's were in tough. World Magazine they were just I mean they deserved all the criticism that was coming their way because I don't I mean they deserved it I'm not saying they did everything wrong, but they definitely were not being transparent with their stakeholders and with the outside world. So mm. one of the professors at that place who had been there for a long time um, and honestly did not do a good job, but he was tenured, I think, so they had to keep him. 
Um, he had like a prayer chain via email or like uh <laughs> so he had something basically and he Such was an ba- old person thing to do he was kind of i think he was kind of like organizing a campaign like a um smear campaign not a smear campaign but like a restore the old glory of this of the school campaign <laughs> the and south will rise again <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, kind of vibe and small like, liberal colleges not, will ri- liberal arts colleges i'm will not rise saying again. that he was in the right i don't and i don't know all the details but i do know that the reason that he was let go was because that an email that he sent out with a prayer request basically saying like we i want to see transparency and i want to see accountability and i want to see all things done the right way which whatever the actual content was, was forwarded to a, v- a VP. That VP called the professor into the office and was like, this is gossip, and terminated him on the spot, and then banned him from campus. Ooh. Which didn't really – that man still visits campus. Yeah, I was going to say, you could not enforce that on All that the faculty campus. were just like, whatever. <laughs> but – and I that. remember hearing that and being like, if you're going to – I understand that with tenure, it's different. But if you're going to fire someone, you fire them for the actual reasons that you're terminating them. You don't make up something like gossip. So talking about – like the entire faculty and staff took a vote of no confidence in the president like two years before this, three years before this, right? Mm -hmm. And so what this professor was discussing with others who – some were involved with the college, some were not, um, you know – oh, man, I really hope that wasn't caught on camera – Bread and burbs. Oh, gosh. Ew. Whatever he was discussing, like – and again, I don't have – I, I've i seen the email once or twice and I and it was, you know – it was more of a passive-aggressive thing, if anything. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was not gossip. He was sharing things that were known and he was sharing the cultural – the cultural holes that were in the organization that, first of all, not only could the faculty see but the students could see every single day. But the fact that it was being disseminated to people within the organization and it was negative was enough for them to classify it as gossip and terminate him. And so I just I remember see. being like, I don't know, that was probably in 2017, 2018. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, man, another one. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I definitely, you know, it, with situations like that, it's obviously hard because you never know what might have led up to – that specific event and you never know what's going on behind the scenes but at the same time like man just if you're an organization or an institution listening and i know you're not because that's just not metaphysically possible but i just wish that you would have the balls to just tell people why you fire them yeah you know like just like i think you're i think you're trying to dissent like or like not dissent what is it or you're causing like you're causing issues that at a deeper like at a yeah. deeper root level or yeah. like whatever but I just, just don't to like give you. it the, the blanket term of gossip was just so like especially after everything like they're the same place that like they had a professor um who got caught in a sexting with an un- with someone who was was, was under age and when it came out they tried to essentially they they didn't cover it up. They said they didn't cover it up. They were just waiting for the right opportunity to tell the students. And they didn't want to – and this is verbatim the president's quote. Not verbatim, but they didn't want to ruin a, a good man's reputation or the man's reputation in general. I would. Is what they said. And so a student journalist had to get that news out there, and it was a whole other scandal. And it's just Which like – Which is not even possible anymore at said college because the student publication is heavily censored. Right. After that, it became mm. heavily censored. But – so, yeah, like, 
that kind of transitions into the next topic we're going to talk about is like not just gossip, but when people actually say, you know, they use the word slander to protect people who are actually in abusive and dangerous. (laughs) You are not protecting us. You do not need to protect someone's reputation if they're visiting who they think to be underage prostitutes. Like if you're a dirtbag, like you don't get a, a, a nice, clean reputation. Say it, like with, say it with me. I, I am, am a dirtbag. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Phil. Um, Anyways, so that that's a, that's oh, another personal Lord. thing. But let's move on to um, everyone's favorite um, apologist. I, I, I want to add one more thing. <laughs> Not apologizer, like, apologist. If you're in an organization where, like, you feel like you can't ever talk about anything that's happened without being yelled at for gossiping, just leave. Leave. Just dip. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah. Robbie Zacharias. Um, which, I'd like to, like, approach this one with, like, a more subdued tone because yeah. I know he was this very is, instrumental in helping building people's lives and yeah. also because of what he did was horrendous. I, yeah, I... Helping building, build people's, like, spiritual, yeah, formation. I had a conversation with a small group leader from school, um, and she was like, I listened to, like, one of his sermon series driving to my freshman year of college, and and I did not have that experience. So, like, I had, like, the gut reaction of, like, well, go to hell, bestie. And um, so I want to be sensitive. Robbie Zacharias was an esteemed apologist. Um, started Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, RZIM. Uh, he was or- an ordained member of his uh, denomination, which is like the, I don't, it's some missionary. I don't remember. It's like a lot of A's. ACNA? Christian Missionary Alliance? Yes, that one. That is it. Um, I got the Anglican one mixed up. Sorry. Is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he basically, basically um, assaulted a lot of massage therapists, groomed tons of women with his spiritual prowess, promises to love them, um, said that he needed um, sexual release because he ha- was looked up to by so many people. Uh, he received countless sexual images of these women, and he also had rape allegations against him. Lorianne Thompson, who... Um, I highly just applaud for her bravery, was a victim of his abuse. Um, He basically began a relationship with her, groomed her, um, and then demanded, like, revealing images of her, etc. She came forward, and he sued her. She was unable to participate in the investigation that was launched about him because RZIM and Robbie had her sign a non-disclosure agreement. And um, a non-disclosure agreement... And we'll talk about NDAs in a little bit, um, or a non-disparagement agreement, depending on what you're reading, is like a legal contract or part of a contract but between two parties that outlines confidential material, knowledge, or information that the parties want to share with one another um, for specific purposes like an investigation or a lawsuit, but they want to restrain or like restrict other people's access to it so it can't go public. Um, Lorianne Thompson, what I believe, broke her NDA, which can have serious legal consequences. Um, but she did She's that. Still under. I thought she broke it. I can't tell. I'm off. I'm not on Twitter right now. <laughs> Anyways, I I I could be wrong about that. Either way, she's spoken out enough that she's been very instrumental in bringing some light. The, on the NDA gagged her for yeah. years and years, essentially. It, it, and even after Ravi died, 
the family and the ministry, or at least the family still held her to the NDA yeah. and said, you cannot talk about what happened. Yeah. But I do believe she did probably, I think she broke it. I believe she broke it a little bit after his death, a few months after, because the family did say, we do not believe it's appropriate to release her from her NDA. So during the investigation, Robbie never turned in his phone to his board, um, and he continually reassured this board, who conveniently, as far as I know, up until this point, have remained anonymous because they didn't want to be viewed as celebrities, and now they're just like, trying to cover their butts, um, that he had done nothing wrong, and there was no need to investigate. And during this time, he was still soliciting sexual images from other women. So... During RZIM's, like, in-house dealing of this scandal, um, where Ravi played the victim and painted Lorianne as the perpet- like, as the predator who was trying to destroy his reputation, blah, 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 um, Ruth Malhotra, Malhotra, I think, she was a junior employee, she was a PR manager at RZIM, and so in meetings that she has to be in to learn how to PR this thing, um, she was basically told to stop being so skeptical and cynical and be like, well, what if this is the possibility? Like, how do we handle it like that? She was told to stop taking notes um, and basically stop looking into it other than, like, what she was told in meetings. Um, and uh, this is from David French, who I will bring up a lot. Um, he wrote a great piece on Ravi, um, and I believe he's actually friends with M- Malhotra. Um, it says, when she continued to press for answers, she was told to do, in quotes, to do the Matthew 18 thing, referring to a scripture that admonishes believers to first confront a fellow believer personally before addressing their sin with others, which is seems not possible as she's a junior employee and Robbie was a huge apologist who traveled all the time. But um, at one point, RZIM senior vice president Sanj Kalra pressed Ruth with the question, whose side are you on? He allegedly accused her of plotting to bring the ministry down. Let that sit with you. One branch of RZIM in Canada, um, I believe this is after Ravi's death and after everything has come out about him, um, Daniel Gilman, uh, RZIM la- laid off a speaker. There's a lot of branches of it. A lot of them are rebranding or breaking off of the actual organization. But the one in Canada laid off Daniel Gilman, who said he believed these women. He challenged the organization to commit or to admit its complicity in the situation, particularly the board. And his severance package included an NDA, like... Sa- seems wise, RZIM. And also don't talk about it. Yeah, and it would keep him from, in quotes, any action that would reasonably be anticipated to cause harm to the reputation or negatively reflect on them. And so he protested and got a different agreement. So it just shows us that at every turn, RZIM valued their reputation and Ravi's reputation over the truth, which is her... Are you playing Fruit Ninja <laughs> right now? <laughs> I'm sorry, Stop Emily. Stop gossiping about me. <laughs> Emily slander. is on her iPad playing Fruit Ninja. Um, it just, I need to do something to focus. Yeah. So they, it's just so ironic that they elevate like their reputation over truth because they quite literally are an apologetics yeah. organization that's like committed to the truth, in quotes. The truth, purity, and all that jazz. Um, yeah. and, and they use these immoral means to hide the truth and prevent harm to their reputations. And they use spiritual language in Matthew 18 to present the on, to prevent the honest pursuit of the truth. And I just that which is, is which that's pure purely spiritual abuse right there. If well, people the are weaponizing the scripture against you like that, that's spiritual abuse. The fascinating thing is that apologetics is all about defending the integrity and yeah. beauty of 
the Christian faith and their actions just honestly undo a lot of that because when you choose unrighteous means of protecting yourself over protecting God's people, then yeah, you're just, yeah, you're no offense, but you're the devil's means of dismantling Christendom. Yeah. And I think it's interesting in rereading David French's piece, um, about Robbie, which, um, we're going to try and link all these articles in the description so you can read on this stuff yourself. Um, it says that one of the massage therapists that he assaulted, um, like walked, like left the faith and then several of them walked away from the faith many, for many years and like had to come and like had, didn't come back to it except through like intense therapy and like conversations with pastors. And I just find that so heartbreaking because he told them like, I like, this is God's reward for me is like you like getting me off. And even though like you didn't not consent to this, it's just, and, and it's just disgusting and that they would use the Bible to hide this from people is legitimately just disgusting. And what kind of Pharisee are you? Not um, even a Pharisee. He sued Lorian and smeared her reputation, basically almost destroyed her marriage. She had a family and children. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine, like, telling your kids, like, they can't be on the internet because they're hearing stories of how mommy's a slut. Yeah. Like, and, and like, Rachel Dunhollander talks about the same thing um, about when she went out against Nasser. And yeah, that's another huge, we don't have time to get into that topic, but like, Larry, watch athlete a watch athlete a on Netflix. That's a good secular example. I think of a man who was allowed to abuse over hundreds of little girls in order to maintain the status quo and protect yeah. someone's reputation. And I think that, that both of these women serve as great examples of mm-hmm. why women don't come forward. With exactly. Lorianne and Rachel. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because like at, you do so at what a, a such a high cost. Yeah, your mental health, your family, your marriage, and your... that's just if you're believed and if you get to go to court. Exactly, and and so to say to say that women profit uh, off of even even if these accusations are false, if they profit off of um, in any kind of way off of gossiping about men like this, like you are just honestly deceiving yourself, and you're honestly a yeah. fool because it's just. It's it's so emotionally taxing yeah. and absolutely destroys your soul. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But there's a part in um, What is a Little Girl Worth, which is Rachel Rachel's book, book. about how she essentially helped spearhead the the uh, bringing Larry Nassar, who is a USA or a, the U.S. American team gymnast or. He doctor. was the USAG doctor. Yes. Olymp- treated Olympians, treated little girls. Right. So basically how she how she um, was abused by him as a child and realized that that was happening years and years later and basically took him – helped get him yeah. to court and was um, – you've talked a lot. Give me a second. Um, she talks about this part where I'm she's speaking. coaching in a gym with um, another young woman and mm-hmm. they're watching little girls and one of the girls – has either hurt themselves or they're, they're talking about NASA for some mm-hmm. reason. And it kind of comes up between the two of them, I th- I think, between the, the Rachel and this other young woman. Like, hey, like, you know how someone's name comes up and everyone's just like, oh. Mm. Yeah. Like, that was well – it was known among the women and the gymnasts, like, what yeah. was happening. And Rachel has this realization later on, like, what if I had said something? Because – 
they yeah. had that realization, and then the, one of the little girls that she was coaching went to go see Nassar. Wrapping it back to the topic is, oh, well, in Athlete A, it points out that Michaela Maroney, Olympian, was put under an NDA by USAG. Right. USAG is a, I screw them to the pits of hell. Simone right Biles now. is playing one of the main, not main, but one of the key reasons I guess she's playing right yeah. now in the Olympics, or was, is so, is she's like, I will continue to discuss what happened to me and what USA did USAG did to me by letting a pedophile yeah. and, a ra- and a like sexual abuser operate. Yeah, like they because the thing the thing that um happened in this case is like there are so many occasions where people were reporting what NASA was doing yeah. and it was being swept under the rug. It, it was being told to one person who should have then brought it to the police because mandatory reporting laws in those states. And that person instead deferred it to another person who, again, mandatory reporting laws, who instead deferred it to Steve Penny, who was the president and CEO of USAG. And then he basically made deals with Nasser, made deals with the FBI. The FBI itself was under investigation by the DOJ because they basically don't give a rest about children. Um, so, anyways, we're not but, here to talk about yeah, why. Yeah, but I'm, I'm pointing out that, like, Michaela Maroney was put under an NDA. Yes, but... Which is just disgusting. On lower levels, like obviously people in power are going to lie and cover up, but we're here Mm -hmm. to talk about like why people on lower levels don't talk about stuff. And it is, it's because, and even in secular settings, we don't want to be accused of slandering someone's good character. And that's what came out time and time again with Nassar is why slander this good man who has children of his own, who loves children, who does such a good work for Olympians. Um, And you can even, like with Canacook, like we've talked about Canacook Mm -hmm. and, and what's happened there is like, Parent after parent, child after child after camper was reporting what was happening, but no one wanted to defame this man in the institution of Canacook. And so they yeah. continued to cover up and hide and put him under rules and regulations and mm-hmm. all these things that were happening in order to control his sexual perversion towards little boys and adolescents. And it just built up and built up and built up until it exploded in their face. So Yeah. Um, kind of wrapping all of those up, the Ravi, the Rachel, the Kennecook, like all those things, like, and tying it back to our anecdote at the beginning, it's like, obviously, you know, people, like there's a cost to speaking out and that's why a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I know we talked about, um, we were going to our brother's high school graduation and we knew that the family of Emily's abuser was going to be there and, we kind of talked, like, beforehand, like, how are we going to handle this? Because we haven't seen them in a while. Mm-hmm. And we basically were just like, you know, I, I don't know how it came up, but I basically just told Nathan, Emily's husband, that language has had so much power over us mm-hmm. for so long that I no longer wanted to speak in general, general like, maybe for this podcast mm-hmm. I will, but I didn't want to be generic or not be specific. I wanted to use the correct terminology and the correct words and speak the names of the people who did these things because mm-hmm. – when you don't use the right language, you lose the power to help someone else. Yeah, and, and even if I am, if I'm accused of slandering someone's good character or sl- or sl- or gossiping about someone, I want it to be the whole story. Now I'm 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 25. I can hold my I I know that that's not true. I can't be spiritually manipulated to believe that anymore. It also yeah. empowers the people who have done something wrong to hide behind your generalities and and anonymity. And yeah, that's why I'm like like. You know, that's why I'm comfortable talking about it here because even though I'm not, we're obviously not using names and, you know, yeah, 
anything like that, you know, if you know us, you probably it's it doesn't take much to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and yeah. I'm fine with that. I I also want to say like when we were going to this graduation talking about this, I was like, I wish I had put names to it sooner because this person ended up going after girls who are younger than me and who were my friends. And I saw personally how some some of the abuse was not, I some of it I don't know if he if it was legitimate abuse, but a lot of it was manipulation and like the early signs of grooming on many of them. And if what I kind had of porn, do you watch or like what do you like? What turns you on? What well, kind of porn do you nudes. watch? Send me nudes. Um, and and that was one big thing of about people like this is like they abstain sometimes from the more technical like abuse. Because and do other things in like, order to groom, like Ravi, like with Lorianne, in order to groom. But I just and I carry a lot of that shame of first of all, though I didn't know that those things were signs that, he, and also I, I think at that point wasn't a hundred percent sure because Emily had yet to tell me because I was like 14, 13 at the time, um, which is totally in her right. So I didn't know what was going on fully. But like now I look back and I, if if it were me now. I would, in a heartbeat, say, X, Y, Z did this, and you should not be around him, and I'm going to go with you to your parents and say, this is what this person has said to me, like, we need to get out of the situation, and... Mm -hmm. Also, I saw the power he exercised over some of these people. Because we were, because we were like, we are not going to rock the boat. Yeah. We are going to protect our reputation. Yeah. But more so, we're going to keep, like, the peace. And so, so many times, people were like, why do you hate this person? And I was like, I just, like, a lot of things happened, and, like, I I think he's, like, kind of a man whore. And, like, I couldn't explicitly say, because some for at one point, I didn't have the language, but then when I got the language, I didn't know what the boundaries were in terms of, like, where what do we say? And even into my freshman year of college, I was at a birthday thing for one of my close friends and there were girls who were still in that environment where his family was, but not necessarily him. And they started talking about him. And I like had this freeze moment of like a lot of dangerous things could happen. Like if they continue to like talk to this person. And so I just laid it out there. And I said, this person is dangerous. Like he has ruined people in my life. Like he has ruined their lives. He, he and is just dangerous to be around. And I, I, and there's power in that. And like, there's, Power when girls talk to each other. Like, it's not gossip. It's, like, me telling someone that there's an abuser in the room. <laughs> Girl, girls have a whole network that guys don't even know about. But Amen. That brings us into our good, like, kind of wrap-up point. And that is, like – and this is a phrase that I saw from someone named Kathleen Norris. And I don't know if I'm totally on board with it. But it's basically called – she called it holy gossip. <laughs> um, going back to the idea that gossip is, like – it's it's really a word. It's an act, and it's the motivation that makes it wrong, right? And she says, it's things I need to know in order to be in the community. Um, and I think, like, what Claire's talking about, how we have become more comfortable discussing the things that have happened to us um, in order to protect others, that is something that if you are in – that if someone needs to know, that is not mm-hmm. gossip. That is not mm-hmm. slander because it happened. And um, telling the truth will never be slander. Right. Uh, I mean, your motivation behind telling the truth can also be something. Like, I could tell stories and twist stories and tell the truth yeah. and twist the truth in a way that makes the other person look bad um, if I mean, my motivation is wrong. Someone's sin it lo- just looks bad, period. Right. So let the sin speak for itself. Yeah, exactly. And you exactly. just provide and the I think, And I think that's what, at this point in our lives, we do pretty well, is just be like, this person did this, And period. this is something, 
you know, that it, we all, we still live in this community geographically, but also like in, of people where like there are a lot of people on the fringe of our community who are still involved with these people and they come up in our lives randomly and in conversations randomly. And they're like, did you hear like a friend will come to us and be like, hey, this person was hanging out with my friend group or I, or was at an event that I showed up at. Or went on a Tinder date with them. Yeah, literally. We had a friend who said, oh, I I, I had a friend who went on a Tinder date with this guy and we were and I texted her and said, please tell your friend. Uh, I gave her as many specifics as I could that that didn't jeopardize my own sister's safety. And I basically just said, stay far away. Um, and she was like, yep, I, we got the vibe. He was a creep anyways, so we're done. But, like, it's about – when it comes to things that could harm people, don't stop and check yourself in terms of – or, I mean, you should stop and check yourself all the time. But, like, you're probably not gossiping. You're probably telling the truth, especially yeah. if you are the victim. And if it's about prioritizing someone's safety, like, I would rather, you know – accidentally gossip and then prevent harm then allow harm to occur because i just didn't want to gossip and and there's there's something to be said for if you're not involved in the situation or you're not in close proximity or you weren't the victim like maybe do your research or maybe don't talk about it just be like hey before you do go on a date with this person or before you bring this person into your ministry like let me give you a potential reference you know Like, maybe it's not your story to tell, but you can point them to the person who can tell the story. Encouraging others to practice discernment and practicing discernment mm -hmm. yourself is never a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Something else Norris kind of says is she basically is like gossip is just a natural outflow of what it means to live with people and, like, live in community. And, again, she's talking not about tail-bearing or whispering or slander. She's just talking about the natural inclination to occasionally talk about people when they're not in the room. Um, she says a lot of gossip is just sharing stories or sharing information with no malicious at- intent. And mm-hmm. as someone who works in a small town where <laughs> – like a huge part of my job is listening to gossip. And it's not gossip that has a malicious bent to it. It's mm-hmm. just I need to know, you know, who used to be married to who so I don't accidentally go and like like somebody's Facebook account from the wrong account and then start like – Bring up 20 years worth of marital issues. Abby like, works in marketing for those who don't know. She doesn't just hack people's accounts for her. Right. Like I literally – like I found out something the other day about who someone used to be married to and that the kid that they had is related to one of our biggest clients. And my mind was just blown because I was like all of the way that this works. Like I could have really messed something up if I had like posted the wrong thing or engaged with the wrong account from a different – um, clients, anyways, but like I need to know that stuff. Yeah, and that's not out of maliciousness or a desire to be nosy. Like that's just the stories that happen when you live close to people. Mm-hmm. She also, Norris also says, like sometimes gossip provides a little comedic relief. And again, <laughs> like I'm kind of of the opinion where if you wouldn't tell the tell it to someone's face, like don't tell it. Um, in terms of, like, if you're poking fun at them. There's a lot of things that we say to people's face that we probably shouldn't, though, also. Right. That We also have, like, a low bar for that. But she basically kind of talks about how, you know, um, she gives a story of this monk who just the entire monastery, they they knew his, like, quirks and his tendencies. And the monk was just not the butt of the joke, but he was the subject of a lot of the jokes in the monastery. Um, and she used him as an example of, you know, he was someone who was talked about. He was someone who was the target of a lot of quote-unquote gossip, but none of it was malicious, and he was willing and in on the game and in on the joke. Yeah. Um, it's like if you have a coworker who smells bad. Right. Yeah. 
She also says gossip is democratic. Some stuff is just fair game. Christians don't need to ignore the obvious, even if the obvious is uncomfortable. And it's like, um, (laughs) so like if I, so let's say somebody has an affair and it's very public. If you talk about it. Pastor Greg Locke. (laughs) If you talk about it, that is not gossip because that happened. Like if you yeah. if you are trying to gossip it's about the, the facts, it's the facts. If you're trying to say something like, "Well, I heard that she started it, or he started it, or this, yeah. or this, or this," no. But simply saying this is what happened, yeah, that is not gossip. Like, don't ignore the obvious. Christians don't need to be tiptoers or walking on eggshells around things. Yeah. Um, and also Christians need a. This is something Norris also points out. Christians need a support system where they can yeah. be honest and transparent with each other. And if you're constantly living under the fear that something is gossip, that you can't take your workplace woes home with you, or your issues with a church person and talk to them with another person in the church, sometimes that like that's going to cause you to bottle up all of the things you're feeling and not want to express them in any way or resolve them in any way. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you just need to vent. Like, you should have designated people in your life who you know what you say is safe with and you can vent to. Safety network. And then the, and then after that, yeah, safety network. And then after that, you go and you talk to someone who can resolve the problem. Or if the problem just needs to be resolved by you getting something off your chest, yeah, get it off your chest and let it stick with that one person. But, like, you should not be in fear. You should not be in a Ramsey culture where you're afraid if you go to another person in the workplace. Or even someone outside of the workplace. Or someone outside of the workplace. Or you go to your spouse or you go to your church group and you and you say something um, that you're going to be facing consequences with it. Like yeah. if your heart posture is right and you're not doing anything, again, out of malicious or slanderous intent, don't be afraid to share what's going on in your life because yeah. you're going to you're going to kill yourself if you try to carry all that by yourself. Been there. Right. Um, who put this? Oh, I did. <laughs> I didn't put anything at the end of this. Um, just you. And then when it comes, and that's kind of, that's a more of a reference to talking about the uncomfortable stuff or the stuff that could be coined as gossip. Slander is, is a, is a different beast as we've discussed. Obviously the Ravi thing is so different than the Dave Ramsey thing. Did we define slander? Slander is just lying about people, essentially. To and harm like, them, yeah. And, yeah, to damage them and their reputation. So right. I just want to put that out there. Like, it's not like, again, it's not speaking truth, it's speaking lies. And I think a lot of pe- times people equate, if you're speaking truth about me, that's negative, it's slander. <laughs> um, no. So, Shelnut has another, uh, actually, I think this is someone within her article, someone named Mitchell. Um, sometimes, and again, this article is linked. Sometimes we have to tell someone else something bad that we know to be true about someone that's not there to warn them about that person because it's likely that they will be hurt in the same way, said Mitchell, citing Paul's line in 2 Timothy 4 about the harm done by Alexander the metal worker. Paul wrote, you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And that kind of backs up what we were saying earlier about how, you know, we have kind of shed the idea of like, impropriety and just are just being honest um, when asked and specific where needed and general where not needed about the things that have happened in order to make sure that those who need to be protected or those who need to be in the know are, right? Yeah. Holy quote gossip is what you need to know in order to be in community. Um, and then scripture obviously also tells us like the power of life and death is in the tongue. Right, that's Proverbs eighteen twenty one. James tells us that the tongue can light fires and steer ships, and um, it is 
when you speak words, they cannot be taken back. And so I know that we're sitting here basically telling you, you know, gossip is too narrow a definition. Slander is too narrow of a definition. Speak truth wherever possible. But also check yourself first and measure your words wherever you can because you don't want to find yourself talking and then, I guess, unable to stop. Yeah. Or to find yourself talking. Sometimes you start with truth and you end in a lie or you end in an exaggeration. And you never want to be trying yeah. to tell the truth about someone and if someone has sinned against you or done wrong and then you find yourself in the wrong well, because you've over-exaggerated or overstated. I think what you need to consider is like, do you know how to handle truth? Like if mm-hmm. you use truth as a weapon, that's still gossip and can be slander. Right. Slanderous because you're using truth yeah. in a way that's not honest or full of integrity. Yeah. So your handling of the truth has as much to do as whether or not you communicate truth or not. Yeah. And I think this is something that I can learn a lot from because, like, I am one to just say what's on my mind and what I believe is true, which also, that's another thing is, like, sometimes our interpretation of events is incorrect, and I Mm -hmm. find that in myself. Um, So what is the evidence and multiple reoccurring events say? Don't always doubt yourself um, or your conscience, but I think one thing that— don't always trust yourself either. Right. Um, But one thing that I think in a lot of times I failed to do is just— be aware of, like, is this the right context? Because, yeah. like, I can be telling the truth and it can be absolutely right. But I could also be getting myself into something that could be, like, literally unsafe where it gets out to the wrong people that I've said something. And so that's why, like, literally – I it's kind of a funny joke among us. But, like, Safety Network, like, have people that you can bring it to first if it's, like, mm-hmm. a newer thing. And then if it's an older thing, like, what we've been discussing, like – you kind of just get into a practice of saying it and, like, kind of leaving it at that and not attacking anything on at the end. And we've also, like, we have discussed this event mm-hmm. for years among ourselves and, like, how to tell it and when yeah. to tell it and where to tell it. And it's just been in the last, like, six months that we have finally began practicing what we're preaching now, which is being discerning but also being clear and being yeah. courageous in yeah. some cases. And so just don't dig yourself into a hole. And, like, like Rachel Hollander, when she was a teenager, exercised wisdom. She would have been probably torn apart by USAG at that time. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, not any – more than she already had been um, by their failure to act. But she probably would have been torn apart. And, I mean, later on she was, but she was a woman with a husband and with children and, and a church, like, community – and and had been in therapy and, like, had done a lot of life at that point. And so I just think, like, what are you ready for? Yeah, like, what are you ready for? What are you inviting into your life by speaking truth? Because in and, and, and 1 Peter, it says, like, it's good to suffer for righteous things and for truth. Like, and, and I believe in that. But you also, like, don't just – don't kill yourself for speaking truth all the time. Like, there are people – like, you sometimes you need to take a break from Twitter and you need to take a break from Instagram to tell the truth all the time. And sometimes you need to take a break from communities where you're consistently not heard because you're trying to speak truth into them just and because it's can, not fruitful. You can speak truth on smaller scales. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not ready for the bigger scales, maybe your entire life is you speak truth to single people. You never have a podcast. You never have a platform. Yeah. You never preach a sermon or write a book. It's all about you going and saying, yeah. this is this is what I experienced to the people who really – who literally are just in that community or in that experience and need to hear it. Yeah. I think about that like we talk a lot about like when we share testimonies like be um be you know specific with a few people who need to know but general with everyone else 
broad with everyone else. Yeah. And if you meet someone who's in the same life spot that you were at or who or you are now, that's when you get specific with them, right? Yeah. So maybe adapt that. Um, who puts the last two points in here? I Is did. That you? So you want to wrap us up? Yeah. So I just, you know, in reflecting on on this topic and kind of what we've discussed, I think that the idea of exposing darkness with light, which is truth, is what, like, every Christian is called to that. So if you're not a truth teller, like, you know, yeah, you might need to think about that. Um, Because that's, like, the ministry of Jesus was all about truth telling. Whether that be the gospel or exposing the sin of others privately, Mm -hmm. publicly, like, Mm -hmm. all of that is in the ministry of Jesus. And obviously, Jesus did that with the most discernment and wisdom, but we have a lot to learn from him and and how we are um, truth tellers in in both culture, institutions, and to individuals. Um, And I think the last thing that I was thinking about is – uh, so many times I've heard like I don't want to I don't want to tell the truth because I I just want to be a peacemaker. It's like okay, well, being a peacemaker and not telling the truth is just someone who advocates for false harmony, mm-hmm. and Ooh. that is just not what God has called us to. And that is not re- that living living as a Christian should be living in reality, and false harmony is not reality. So mm. being a peacemaker is to necessarily be a truth teller because. A peacemaker is someone that lives in the light and brings light to dark places. And so it's absolutely essential to be to be a peacemaker and to, to, to foster true peace in the world is to tell the truth. We lived in a lot of false harmony, and I think yeah. people got hurt because of it. James 3.18 says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right. So how are you actively making peace, I guess, with your words? And I guess that's how we can kind of tie all this together is like whether you're speaking against some – whether you're being accused of gossip or you're accused of slander or or whatever um, and you – and you're pushing back and you're saying I'm actually speaking truth or I'm actually trying to confront mm-hmm. injustice or I'm trying to confront inconsistencies or like small sins or small things that I see mm-hmm. wrong, how are you sowing peace with your words? Like, even if they're not creating peace in the moment, even if you're getting fired or dragged into court, like, what are the long-term mm-hmm. ramifications of the words and the actions that you're taking? And what is your heart motivation behind them? If you're just trying to blow crap up, like, maybe take a step back and reevaluate. Yeah. Because, again, you can have you can have all the truth in the world, but if, if, you, don't ha- if you don't do it out of the right heart posture. Yeah. Um, I think that all has to do with having that right handling of truth. And I think that whether or not the consequences for you in the moment are, you know, beneficial like jesus always honors a right handling of truth um even if it's difficult and it may produce hardship in the moment for you yeah um if you guys are looking for some great sources of truth done right um, that are um faith-based uh we obviously we love uh the dispatch um (laughs) david french french actually the whole dispatch is just kind of good yeah if you're looking for political truths the dispatch but nancy and is a great nancy Nancy french and and i don't know if david french does a lot of it but nancy french is a great investigative journalist the three-part series she did on canna cook uh, is incredible i think david helped as well roy's report is also Mm. really great source of investigative journalism she does a really good job christianity today they're not always the first to break news but they're thorough. They're Always so quality. thorough. Um, they're so good. Highly yeah. recommend those three. Um, if you are interested in any of the articles we talked about, we'll have them linked in the description this week. And as always, um, thanks for listening to us, bearing with us. Um, 
on this reflective road trip to our wits end. <laughs> I've already forgotten the tag. Um, we do this for the love of the church and the life of the world. And we hope to see you on episode five, where we will be talking about something. TBD. TBD. So if you have any suggestions, slide into our DMs. Let us know. But not women in leadership. Yeah, we're probably not going to talk about that ever. Yeah. That's more <laughs> like a season 10 Unless topic. you want us to bring Nathan on to talk about it, in which we will all have a screaming match. In which case, <laughs> it will require actual monetary compensation for both he and I. It, for you, know, you know how, like, YouTubers are, like, fighting each other now? We should do that. Like, boxing? Like, yeah, like, yes. <laughs> that's, our, that's our, like, headliner event that gets us followers. There you go. Um, all right. Bye, everybody. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Bye. Call you back. (laughs) Bye. I guess I better let you go.